You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. When I was a young person, I didn't necessarily, you know, see cinematographers or see directors mm-hmm. um, or know that though or producers or know that those opportunities were were very much available and alive. Um, for me, so f- with my nonprofit, we try to bridge that. So, you know, young people are seeing, you know, people that look like them who are doing the creating. Um, and that's very important to me. So I, I I feel like the young people are the ones that keep me motivated <laughs> to keep doing the thing. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here, we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I am your host, Janine Scott. Marjan Kennedy is a Broadway producer and award-winning Caribbean-American artist, entrepreneur, educator, and mom. Her work spans theater, film, children's media, and literature, Kennedy is the 2023 DC Mayor's Arts Larry Neal Writers Award winner and was also named as 2023 Woman to Watch on Broadway. Marjan's co-producing Broadway credits include The Wiz and Death of a Salesman. She was the 2021 inaugural Front Row Fellow at Columbia University's MFA Theater Management and Producing Program. Her original work has been seen at the Kennedy Center, Sesame Street, the Smithsonian, the Lincoln Center, the National Theater, and Hooray Media. She is the founder of her production company, Cephia Works, and nonprofit Kennedy Foundation for the Arts. Kennedy is a graduate of Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Fordham University, and NYU Tisch School of the Arts. Welcome, Marjan, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So I want to begin right away, okay? You are a native of Washington, D.C. with a Trinidad African-American roots. You've shared about growing up in a culturally rich household full of storytelling. Was there a particular moment in your childhood when you realized you wanted to build a career in the arts? 
That is a great question because I don't think there was an actual moment in my childhood. I just remember always performing like in my living room and, you know, being very serious about the work that I was putting on as a five-year-old, six-year-old in my life. <laughs> you know, all my family members to come and watch me and my stuffed animals. So I feel like I have very vivid memories of, of that um, and producing those little living <laughs> performances. But I think the shift really happened for me when I went to high school, to Duke Ellington School of the Arts, um, which really just changed my life because I never... I never knew you could be a professional artist. No one in my family um, is in the arts. Um, I did grow up with so many rich opportunities um, and, and I was seeing a lot of art and, and, and having those experiences, but I never knew um, professionally I could do that work. So um, high school was really the time for me to say, hey, like I can make a life out of this. You know, that is such a through line for most of our guests. They all have gotten on pretty much, I mean, nine times out of 10, they're like, I did not know that this could be a career. And I find that really interesting. I mean, and we'll get to this later on because you are doing stuff to promote this as a career for young people to kind of buck that, you know, buck that, uh, that notion or, or lack of, you know, of knowing out there within our community. And we'll get to that. But it is so interesting that you say that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like if you don't see it, and you don't, you're, you're not engaging with, you know, those professionals, it's hard for you to imagine yourself in those roles. And especially, you know, for us growing up, you know, we were in the analog age. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, unless we were, you know, seeing it face to face, it was very hard for us or reading about it. It was hard for us to see what those possibilities were. Absolutely. <laughs> That's all I can say. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I want to go back just a little bit because I want to talk about your literary work. So one of your works, uh, Kalalu, started off as a play before becoming a children's book. Can you talk a little bit about that initial inspiration behind the creation of this play and why you decided to make it into a children's book? Absolutely. Well, this was back in 2011, I would say. Um, I was just, I was, I was actually in the, in the heart of um, my one woman show, Girls, Girls, Girls. That was my first original piece. And I, I that piece really taught me everything about producing, investing, mm -hmm. um, you know, was the first creative piece that I um, wrote myself. So um, I was touring it and, and performing it all over the country for about two years, two or three years. And I had developed a small audience and my audience just kept asking like, what's next? What, what are you working on next? And, you know, this was my first time ever doing anything. I was uh, 23, 24 at the time. And, 
I just said, oh, I ha I have to do something else. Oh, you guys really like what I'm doing. Um, mostly because I I was an actor. I, I, I never wrote anything. I never produced anything. And I never knew, again, I could do those things. Um, so it really was that, that small group of followers that I, I had, you know, developed over, over my first piece. And, um, I actually, I just started, you know, thinking deeper about my own heritage and where I come from being a first generation Caribbean, um, woman. And if you all are familiar with uh, Trinidadian folklore, we have uh, La Jablais, Sukuya, Bois, <laughs> all these characters um, that are very much alive in the oral tradition uh -huh. of how the world functions. And, um, and of course, being first generation, my interpretation of it is a bit different mm -hmm. um, than from young people who grew up on the island. So it really was a, um, it was, it was a really spiritual piece for me because it was connecting my childhood. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, coming to age, uh, elements of, of me recognizing, you know, what it means to be Caribbean American. And it was so much fun. I mean, <laughs> honestly, like it, I I started writing the piece, um, let's say in a summer in in like May, and uh -huh. then by August had the entire story. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, it was very easy for me because it really was, you know, my history right. and my experience. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the the creative part came very easy for me. The producing part was a bit unique and challenging over the course of the, the 10 years after that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know what? We're just, we're going to get into this because we're talking about storytelling and I want to talk a little bit about your, your, your nonprofit as the founder and executive director of um, the Kennedy foundation for the arts your whole goal is to empower youth of color to be change agents, right? And through their communities, through workshops, mentorships, and live performances. Can you discuss the importance of this organization and your motivations for founding it? Yeah, well, the Kennedy Foundation for the Arts really just stemmed from my own creative work. I've I've always connected my my work that I'm doing, whether it's commercially or in community, um, to young people and um, giving back in, in some form. So it really was, again, very natural for me to move into thinking, you know, how can we better not only produce the works that I was I was making, but also um, connect this work directly to young people. And um, it actually came from my Callaloo Kids project, which again started as a play, then mm -hmm. turned into a book series and into live puppetry, animation, just working across a lot of different mediums. But the educational element um, was really the foundation of starting my nonprofit. So it's grown so much since 2015 mm -hmm. when we when I founded it. Um, but 
you know, since then we've impacted close to 10,000 wow. young people across the country this past season. Um, we brought about 200 kids to see the whiz that I'm co-producing, yes. um, 200 DC kids. And, you know, for me, it's, it's just a way of bringing young people to the theater, allowing them to have opportunities to explore their own voices, connecting theater storytelling to social justice, um, activating their citizenship so they feel that, you know, they are part of the storytelling. We provide workshops, mentorship opportunities, um, and and really uplifting and engaging black and brown um, experiences on stage and off stage as well. So again, like we go back to, you know, when I was a young person, I didn't necessarily, you know, see cinematographers or see directors mm -hmm. um, or know that or producers or know that those opportunities were were very much available and alive um, for me. So f with my nonprofit, we try to bridge that. So, you know, young people are seeing, you know, people that look like them who are doing the creating. Um, and that's very important to me. So I, I, I feel like the young people are the ones that keep me motivated <laughs> to keep doing the thing. <laughs> well, you know, I was getting ready to ask you that. I'm like, how do you stay motivated? But it, it really is, right? I mean, it sounds so hokey to say, you know, I believe that children are our future, but they really are. They're going to be who keeps this art form alive, and they're going to be the ones who help to shape and, and, and make this art that we love. And so to hear you talk about what you are doing through your nonprofit organization and how you are opening up the doors for these young people to see these other professions besides being um, actors, you know, on stage, but knowing that you can do it all, you know, and then teaching kind of like that business aspect. I salute you. I mean, this this is what has to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like there's nothing wrong with starting off on stage. You know, it's very natural um, to 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 want to perform, but to know that, you know, there are so many other opportunities in entertainment and mm -hmm. theater specifically. Um, and then when we talk about, you know, equity and more representation, um, diversity, it, it's, it really starts with behind the scenes and more specifically producing. So I think naturally, like I fell into it because I cared about a lot of those issues. And I saw as an actor how limiting it can be. And instead of taking a passive approach to, well, I'm just going to wait and wait and wait for the right job to come to me, I ended up creating my own work and allowing the industry to bend more to, um, you know, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to represent myself. And, and honestly, like that motivation, yes, it's, it's, it's continued um, by young people, but it's also, I think, for me, knowing my history and knowing where I come from and knowing that, you know, Ruby D and mm -hmm. Austin Davis, you know, um, Lorraine Hansberry. Right. Did that. There were there have been so many before me that um, 
have developed their own theater companies, their own production companies that I'm just simply walking in continuum with them. Um, and, and knowing that, knowing that, you know, they survived under even worse, you know, societal, um, conditions. I think that for me, it's, it's, that is the motivation, mm -hmm. you know, that I, I'm walking within, you know, my my ancestors' um, path to to continue that legacy. Right, and it's important for those young people to know those names and to know whose shoulders we stand on as well. So, salute to you for that. You're, you're talking about producing, which is a perfect segue. You know, I want to talk a little bit more about your journey. As a producer, you made your Broadway debut as a co-producer on Death of a Salesman. What, and you talked a little bit about, you know, what inspired you and now you're, and now you are doing the same with The Wiz. What are you hoping to, what are you hoping to do next? I mean, you know, what, what got you there and what are you looking to do more of in that area? Yeah, well, I'm very honored to be part of um, these two Broadway productions um, that are celebrating Black storytelling and um, two very historic productions. Um, so I think with Death of a Salesman, I originally um, got was part of that project as I was finishing up a producing fellowship at Columbia University, um, which was all centered in commercial producing. Um, it was started by um, two of my mentors, incredible um, producers, um, Stephen Bird and Aaliyah Jones Harvey, um, who spearheaded that uh, fellowship to support and train emerging Black producers in the commercial sector. Um, so many people don't know that Aaliyah is the only black or actually woman of color lead producer on Broadway. So, I mean, for her to mentor me and to support me um, and Stephen as well um, on my journey, it has been incredible um, for them to, you know, not only assist me with like all of those connections, which really that is how the business functions through, um, mm -hmm opportunities through networking through you know who's in the room mm -hmm. watching you as you develop um so that entire experience that year-long experience of being both in the classroom at columbia but also um doing the work in the industry um was life-changing for me um this was in 2021 so just finishing up that uh fellowship I had the opportunity to join the co-producing team of Death of a Salesman, and it was the first time I had to raise serious money, <laughs> and and I had um, I had no I no clue how to do it because uh -huh. part of co-producing is raising money, um, and I really just pushed myself. I leaned into my mentors and um, my my community and. And I, I was able to do it. And from there, um, The Wiz came and other opportunities commercially. And I've just been learning, you know, as 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 I've been going. But also, you know, I've 
in the last couple of years, being in the commercial space, I've also acknowledged that commercial producing isn't that much different from independent producing mm -hmm. or community producing. Um, so everyone who wants to get into commercial producing, I would say continue to keep doing that work um, wherever you're producing, because a lot of the skills that I've developed in the last 15 years of producing my own work or being an independent producer has translated into the commercial space and I think has given me a bit more edge on how I approach the business. Um, whereas traditionally in the Broadway space or touring space, there is a model right. to make money and that's it. Um, and yes, that isn't that is important but there's also impact there's also education there's also building diverse audiences um, creating diverse teams both on stage and off stage so I think a lot of that work I've been doing grassroots for a long time mm -hmm. that I can bring that to the commercial space so it's very exciting to you know like work on these bigger productions and have um, bigger impact but it's also important for me to stay rooted and focused on who I personally want to be coming to the theater, which are young people, young people of color, communities of color, to have those experiences. So I'm very much involved of um, strategy and community building. Um, and, and some producers just want to raise the money and that's it. And that's right. fine. But I think for me, like I... I really um, am dedicated in that way of of making sure our communities are in those spaces and are actually having positive experiences. You know, two things. One, love Aaliyah, love Stephen Bird. Like fabulous. You couldn't have two better mentors, and I and they are giants. And I mean, oh my gosh. So much respect, so much respect. But one of the things that I'm also seeing is a surgence of us, of black folks coming in this producing as co-producers and then working their way up to become lead producers. And you talked about equity and that is, I, I couldn't agree more. That's where it starts. That is where it starts. It starts at that table when you're putting together those teams and being a part of the strategy on how these shows are promoted and what what's going on. You know, um, I, I couldn't agree more. This that is that's that is an important role, and I think people forget about how important a role producing, co-producing is in this industry, especially in the commercial sector. So I thank you for calling that out. Um, you were named 2023 Woman to Watch on Broadway. What does that mean to you to be featured among such a talented group of women in the Broadway industry? I was, first of all, I was so surprised. <laughs> I was calling up like all of my Broadway friends and, and mentors, I'm like, did you recommend me for this? How did this happen? <laughs> I am so honored to um, be recognized and to um, to stand with really my peers. Um, you know, folks that I've been collaborating with and working with for a long time, and 
um, to to be celebrated at this high level. It it is um, it really is a a joy for me. So I I welcome it, and I am so I'm so thrilled to be part of. Um, the woman to watch list and I'm still trying to figure out who nominated <laughs> who nominated me but I'll I'll take it well it's deserved looking at what you've already accomplished and how successful those endeavors have been of course you are going to succeed in this industry on Broadway like no doubt <laughs> absolutely Thank no you. doubt so I, I concur. You deserve that award of 2023 Women to Watch on Broadway. And I am excited to see what more things, you know, you have in store. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Can you talk a little bit about the raising of the capital in order to put works on Broadway or in order to produce independently, what does that look like? And what does that look like specifically for people who look like you and I? Raising capital is hard. It's very hard. And I think the first step is for black and brown folks to look at our relationship to money and how we feel about money, which I remember going into Death of a Salesman, that was the first thing I had to do because I was legitimately getting sick with the feeling of, hey, I have to ask people for $25,000 up front. Like, who do I even know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it was it was a process of um, of building you know, knowing that I had the skills, I had everything, all the materials prepared, I had practice, I knew, I know how to pitch, I know how to talk in front of people. Um, I was a little shaky on the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I was confident it was more so of um, accepting that, hey, I deserve this. You know, hey, this, this is a project I'm part of and I am capable. You can trust me. And the truth of the matter is, yeah, yes, Broadway, you know, has that name, has, has you know, the sparkly lights. But even in independent producing, it's your approach. It's you saying, hey, you're going to come for, come on a ride with us and you're going to be part of a team. Um, and I think when that, when I started to embrace that approach of whether you're writing me a check for $25,000 or $50 or $500, um, you're still going to get an experience with me, with this project, and um, it's relationship building at the heart of it. That's what it is. Um, and yes, you do need to have like your your proposal and your numbers and all of that together, but it's also you 
really, really digesting that, hey, I deserve this. My project deserves this. You know, it takes money to make a thing um, mm -hmm. and not shying away from it. And I think um, the more for myself, the more opportunities that I had that came after Death of a Salesman, um, I felt more comfortable. So it was a thing of just doing it, you know, just do it. Set a goal for yourself say, hey, I want to raise $5,000 for this project and come up. And I think that's the creative part about producing. Come up with different ways to do it. So not necessarily in the Broadway space because there's a lot of rules and regulations, mm -hmm. but independent producing, you know, you can go through grants, you can find private donors, you can do um, community fundraisers, you can do online um like the Kickstarter. So there's so there's so much that you can do in, in terms of reaching your goal that I think that's what makes producing fun or raising money fun because raising money is never fun. <laughs> it's not <laughs> ever really fun, but the approach and the creativity in, in building a group of people to invest in you, that is exciting. And then when you sit back and think like, hey, I was able to get, you know, 30 people to give me $50 or mm -hmm. continue to rise with um, producing and raising capital. Then you sit back and say, hey, I was able to get five people to give me 100K. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. that, um, with Without a product or without anything tangible, someone believes in your vision and, and and that's why I think it takes time. It takes time and, and producers have to just keep doing. You have to keep, keep at it because you're working those muscles all the time and you're, and you may not even be aware of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, raising capital is never easy. I know like some producers who are in their sixties and seventies and there's, they're still, you know, it's, it's hard mm -hmm. for, it's, everyone but I think you have to be creative you have to really use your community use your resources your network and um, you know just flip your flip your approach on how you raise your money and do some internal work on how you feel about money and how how to um, how to create a project that may not use traditional methods so it's exciting, yes. though. <laughs> you know what? You uh, so now you sparked another. You sparked another question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you mentioned doing theater, and you know, and it not necessarily having to be Broadway, because we know theater is not just in New York. It's it's everywhere, you know. And you talk about building community um, with with your work. Can you talk about how and why? that's important to you? Why is it important to you to showcase that theater is everywhere and not just Broadway in New York and how you go about building um, and why is it important to build community? Well, it's important to build community first because I'm a human of the world. And I think um, that centers me first that I am a human I'm a citizen I um I have neighbors I'm a mother I'm a sister I'm a daughter 
And my art is just a reflection of all those experiences. So I'm, I, I think I've, I struggled a long time, um, you know, as a young artist, just trying to fit in into the commercial world and wanting to be seen and celebrated and to be recognized and um, to do all the things that we are trained and taught to do, especially if you mm -hmm. go to art school. Um, and I often found myself, um, you know, just being, just being in challenging situations and um, not fully being present in who I am and what I represent because I, I wanted so badly to be accepted. When the truth is that, you know, we all come from different communities, backgrounds, and, you know, as an artist specifically, our, I believe our, uh, our, our reason for making art is to tell our specific truth. Um, whether you are embraced or not. <laughs> so again, for a long time, I worked outside of the New York theater scene, um, mostly because I was not inspired mm -hmm. by the work um, and also the methodology of doing the work. Um, so I was very much doing solo theater for a long time, experimental work, working in the, um, in the mediums of film animation, literature, and very much a free spirit moving where I felt it felt good for me and bringing my community along and, and really getting exciting about getting excited about entrepreneurship, um, social justice, um, doing a lot of international work. And I still do a lot of that work. And to me, like having that balance of, yes, I'm going to do Broadway, but I'm also going to be, you know, on the front lines protesting mm -hmm. and doing street theater. And I'm also going to be working in the education space and building a youth ensemble at the same time. Like those things, those are the things in my community that motivate me to keep doing the work because Broadway comes and goes and it's exciting and it's fun to be a part of a big production like The Wiz or Death of a Salesman. Um, but after that, you go back to your community, you go back to your home. And I have learned through many experiences over the last 15, 20 years that we cannot, as artists, as creative um, entrepreneurs, we cannot just pour our whole selves into a project. We have to have the balance and um, the work-life balance, the project, <laughs> community <laughs> balance. And um, we have to firmly ground ourselves and root ourselves in something because the industry is changing so much. It's, you know, one one week you're up, the next week you're down. You can have very dry periods, very exciting winning periods. And um, you just have to take what you can, um, but also think about, you know, what is the thing that really grounds you to keep doing the work? And for me, it's community and it's storytelling in general. It's not, I love Broadway, but it's not necessarily commercial. It is, I am a storyteller and I'm going to leave my impact wherever I go. I love it. 
So one question we like to ask all of our guests at the end of our episode is, what is one piece of advice you'd like to offer to the Black future leaders of Broadway? So one piece of advice I would give to future Black Broadway leaders is to really tap into your resources, your community, the folks who are standing next to you as you elevate. I think it's very easy to look towards those who are outside of our circles um, to praise us, to give us opportunity. Again, going back to the mentality, you know, I had as a young actor, like I'm waiting for an agent, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, when actuality you're building and creating within your circle and to not forget those people that have been creating and working with you. Um, I think for me, you know, I'm always committed first to the story and, and the team in telling the story. So I very much want, you know, first time, black and brown creatives who've never worked in the Broadway space or in the theater space to have that opportunity. Um, I think that's what makes art fresh and unique and in the Broadway space where it's very easy to only think about the dollars and what will sell. I think we have to think deeper about what is the art there? What is the craft? And that comes from a producer's my, my producing perspective from bringing folks who don't traditionally work in that space into that space mm. on the creative team, um, on the production side, as well as performers. So I think as, as leaders, we have the unique opportunity to shape and shift the culture of Broadway. And we have to have courage to do that. We have to think beyond um, you know, this is what sells. This is what Broadway looks like. This is what's been done over and over again. But how can we leave an impact? How can we shift the culture? How can we make history? And that comes with risk. You might get it wrong. <laughs> you might hire the wrong person. Um, but you're trying and you're challenging yourself. So I definitely would say lean into your community, lean into your culture, um, where you come from, and bring that into those spaces. I almost jumped out my seat. <laughs> I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> where, where is my fan? Yes, yes, and yes. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It was inspiring. It was affirming. It was confirming and all the other ING words <laughs> that are out there that are positive. Uh, but seriously, I really appreciated chatting with you and getting to know a little bit more about your story. And I, like I said, looking at your past successes and looking at, at who you have you know, surrounded in your circle. The sky is the floor. How about that? I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me and I am grateful. 
Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of the Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.